Well, today is the final message in this series of sermons that we began several weeks ago, what will remain as a precursor to the election cycle we find ourselves in. And the purpose of this series has been one, and that one purpose is this, that we allow Scripture, the truth of the gospel, the Spirit of God using Scripture in our lives to form and shape our thinking, because nothing is more important than allowing the eternal truth of Scripture to form and shape our lives. And that has been our goal in this series. We're going to kind of wrap that series up today, talking from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at that Scripture together today. That's the epistle reading in the lectionary. So around the world today, there are people who are reading this passage together as we look to 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? I mean, actually had the wind knocked out of you. There are some things in life that just knock the wind out of us. I was playing peewee football for the Roxbury Colts, the blue and gold, sixth grade. Can you believe it? I was a middle linebacker. But you wouldn't know that from my scrawny, Sixth grade body. I was quick, though. I was quick. I was quick on my feet. And I'd like to tackle people. So they made me a middle linebacker. Well, one day, one game, Saturday, playing in the fall in Succasuna, New Jersey, I was not quick enough. Because I was going, I was about to make peewee football glory. And I was going for this great tackle. And then some dude who had a body that was much greater in level than sixth grade hit me square in the back. And next thing I knew, I was laying on my back, gasping for air. And the coach came out and people gathered around me and You know, they're checking me. They saw I was hit in the back, so they called the ambulance. We had a little ambulance, the volunteer ambulance group in the corner, and they all came out. They probably thought, this is great. We had something to do. And here they came. They they actually took me to the emergency room as a precaution, make sure I was okay. So I guess, I guess I got my peewee football glory. An ambulance ride with the sparse crowd of parents and family (laughs) applauding as I left the field but getting the wind I'll never forget that day getting the wind knocked out of you is scary it can be distressing 2020 seems like a time when we have just had the wind knocked out of us and honestly just in all candor this election season has seemed in some ways like another blow to the back. And we're winded, all of us. The pandemic is still leaving its mark. We see that happening, no denying that. The cultural tensions are still high. There's division in the church. And none of this even accounts, it doesn't even begin to account for the personal ways we have found ourselves gasping for breath. 
reflecting back over this last year, as Pastor Serena told us, Pastor Jimmy's going to be with us in two weeks, and I asked him to come to talk specifically about soul care in disorienting times. But it caused me to think about the last year, because it was a year ago when they were here, and it made me reflect on the sermon I preached at the start of the year on liminal space and how we don't know what's ahead of us, and boy, did I just understate that one, right? Some of the own spaces and places in my own life where suddenly loss seems real and disorientation visits me, and none of this even accounts any of that. So now what? How do you move forward with hope? How do we move forward with hope? We began this series asking a series of questions. We said, what will remain of our unity? What will remain of our witness? And what will remain of our faith? We said at the end of this election cycle, will we sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Affirming that reality. And so we've tried to expound the implications of those questions in those areas of life. And we ask questions like this. Will I truly see people made in the image of God? Especially those who I disagree with or who look different than I do or sound different than I do or are different, who disagree with me. Will I see them as being made in the image of God? We turn to those words from Max Licato when he said, if we saw people in the image of God, what civility it would engender, what kindness it would foster. Racism would not flourish. Society would not write off the poor, the mentally ill, the inmate on death row, or the refugee. Not if we believe, truly believe, that every human being is God's idea, and God has no bad ideas. And we said, you know what? In the faces of the people that we see, we see the very majesty of God. As scripture says, you crown mankind with glory and majesty. We ask the question, will Jesus actually be my Lord? Will it be more than just some kind of religious platitude to say Jesus Christ is Lord? We ask the question, will he actually be my Lord? Justin Early reminded us we're to vote for a politician and we're to wait for a king. Just this week, someone sent me a little, a little saying. It said something like this. After the election, God will still be on the throne. Jesus will still be king of kings and lord of lords. And the tomb will still be empty. Amen. God will still be with us always. And we turn to those words from Philippians and we were reminded every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Will he actually be my Lord? And then we asked, will power be used as an implement of love? We asked that last week. And, and we heard these words from John Piper, that the people who do the most good for the greatest number for the longest time are the people who have the aroma of another world with another king. And we asked, what was his aroma? What was the aroma of Christ? And he answered, I am among you as one who serves. 
And so on this Sunday, this morning, as we look in the rearview mirror and remind ourselves of some of the lessons we have learned, we have one more question to ask. And that question is this. Are you hopeful this morning? Are you hopeful? Here's the way we're going to ask it. What remains of our fixed hope? If your faith is in the outcome of an election or the circumstances of life aligning in your favor or the production of a vaccine to heal the pandemic, Or the sudden change in the world to fit your and my values the way we want it to. If that's what your faith is in, then you may feel anxious today. And it may be difficult to find the anchoring point of hope. But as Pete Scazzaro recently said, you can let go of outcomes while not letting go of hope. You can let go of outcomes while not letting go of hope. That's a good word. There is hope beyond outcomes. You see, that was the message to a group of Christ followers who lived in what we would know as first century Greece. In what is considered the earliest of Paul's letters, 1 Thessalonians, this letter is targeting a people that's struggling to understand and how to move into the future. First and Second Thessalonians is all about that. The other day, I wrote down some descriptors of what we have encountered in 2020. I just began writing them down. Disruption. Disorientation. Discord. Division distraction, and death. Well, that is what it was like for the first recipients of this letter. We're not sure all the sources of their struggle, but we do know this. If you read both of the letters, First and Second Thessalonians, we know this. We know that they were a group of people who were faithful to Jesus. We also know that their lives were making a difference, and they were living a different narrative than the world around them. And they were doing that in the midst of great suffering and hardship. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Right in the middle of it. So when you read through these two letters, you find out that there are words used to describe their situation. Persecution. Trials, suffering, and trouble. Those are words that are used to describe their situation, along with the words of faith, hope, and love. They mix together. We also know that they are living in a culture that is not reflective or affirming of their faith and values. In fact, Paul, in this letter, refers to it as a pagan world. So they're living in a culture that's not consistent with what they want it to be. And we also know this. We also know that their hearts are broken. These are broken-hearted people. They are grieving 
loss. They are especially grieving the loss of the death of loved ones. And some scholars suggest that it might be because of persecution. You see, suffering was creating disorientation for them. And the world around them was distracting them from the anchoring points of Christ. And loss, loss was showing up to rob them of faith. And death was on the verge of stealing their hope. That's the background of this letter. I asked the question, are you sure that this letter wasn't written last week? Right? Because all of this, for them, for us, for all, has a way of knocking the wind out of us. It's like a big dude comes behind us and hits us square in the back. In her book, entitled Still, Seven Ways to Find Calm in the Chaos, Jen Donnelly gives a a picture, a word picture that I think we can grab hold of. My sister Carol and I were reflecting on this recently together. This is what she wrote. I imagine myself in the center of a tornado. Debris and chaos flew all around me with violent force. But I wasn't moving. I was anchored in stillness. But then... I reached out with one hand to touch the movement and the chaos and the debris and it grabbed all of me and yanked me around with unforgiving speed. She went on and said, this picture showed me that I could be in the storm but not a part of the storm. I could be smack dab in the center of my life, engaged and present but not a victim of its bullying nature. Have you ever felt yanked by life and the world around you with unforgiving speed? Well, these folks did. Disruption, disorientation, discord, division, distraction, death. Yanked around at unforgiving speed. I guess the question is, do I want to be anchored in the stillness of hope in the middle of the tornado? Well, these words to our friends in Thessalonica are words for us. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another with these words.
This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. All right. I'm going to put up a big caution sign. All right. Imagine a blinking caution sign. The temptation in reading these words is to see them as only a get-out-of-the-world-free card. We think the focus of these words is on getting us out of the world in the rapture and being relieved of our suffering. And yes, these words point to a time when Jesus will come and make all things right. Praise God. But let's make sure we do not read into these words a form of escapism from our troubled world. Because the movement is not so much as us going up, so to speak, but the Lord himself will come down. See, I think there's more to this passage than just, well, you know what, someday Jesus is going to come back and fix everything, so I'll just kind of wait for that. The last words he says and writes are pivotal. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here's why. The word used for encourage is the same word to describe the present tense work of the Holy Spirit of God in the world today. Now, these words that he's written are intended to help them right now. In the present, they are in the midst of suffering and, and heartache and pain and grief and loss. And these words are for that time. Now connect that to the word used for his coming. It's a famous word for many people in Christian circles. We know it as the perusia. Also, the word for caught up is not about going upward in trajectory. It's about like being caught up in a celebration. I was talking to Bob Whiffen today at the start of the day, and he started to talk to me about his grandkids. Don't get Bob started on the grandkids. He gets like caught up, man. He was caught up. And his words were, I, I was smitten. Right? I think Paul's wanting us to be smitten, caught up. That word, that phrase was used to describe when a Caesar would come triumphantly and the city and the people would be caught up in the celebration. We need to get caught up in the truth that King Jesus will someday come and make all things right. Yes, come Lord Jesus. But what Paul the Apostle wanted for them and what we must see is that we need to be caught up in this King that is with us right now that he comes to us every day right now we need to be smitten with this king we are not a forgotten people now now this is important remember the context of these words this is not a denial of the disordered world around them or us in fact this names and laments the disorder of our world There's no faith in glossing over the disorder. You see, this says there is unexplained suffering. That racism is real. 
that hunger and clean water and poverty still destroy lives. That the sanctity of life is dismissed. That there is brokenness. That cancer and depression and addiction and pandemics and power-addicted politics all bring. This does recognize that the world is not what it is intended to be. This does not deny that. What this does is this declares that the king will come, the king meets us right in the middle of a world that is not as it should be. And the message is simple. The message is simple here. If we can have hope in God for the future, we can have hope from God in the present. If we can have hope in God for a future day when he's going to make all things right, we can have hope from God in the present when the world is not as it should be. This future hope this future hope is a birth of present tense faith. And so his word is calling them to stay the course. Be the example of the new creation that will ultimately be realized. And we are to welcome the coming of Jesus. We are to welcome his coming every day. Those who are looking for him will find him. This welcoming, this perusia, the coming of Jesus, is not just a future hope. It is that, thanks be to God. But it is also a daily posture and practice and activity. If you keep reading First and Second Thessalonians, what you'll discover is that their faith is a very earthy faith. A faith where love and faithfulness leads them to live a holy life and to love one another and the people in their world. They are to live a God-ordered life in a disordered world. That's really what it's about. He even chastises them for just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come. He says, don't be idle. The new creation we hope for becomes the lives we live now. Pointing to that new creation. I love that. Because you see, ultimately, ultimately, and I've said this many times, the time zone for a follower of Jesus is the future. And this is what I mean by that. We are pulled forward by our orientation towards God's redemption of all creation. We believe that. That's our hope. We're pulled forward by that. And as we do, as we do, we also seek to be the people whose very lives will point to that day. We seek to be the people that point to the day, as the prophet Amos said, when justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We're wanting to point to that day with our lives. So our lives reflect justice, and our lives reflect righteousness, and our lives reflect love, and our lives reflect faithfulness. And what Paul's saying to them is, listen, guys, stay the course. Keep living as you're living, right in the midst of a disordered world. You see, for these people and for you and me, this leads to a hope that remains. 
Did you hear those very first words? He said, you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. These people have lost loved ones. That's the issue they're addressing. Many of the philosophies around them in their time sound an awful lot like the postmodern philosophy of our day, which sometimes you hear says something like this, love is hard, then you die. Another variant is, he who dies with the most toys wins. Right? Love is hard, then you die. These people were asking questions. They were asking questions when facing death. Is there more to life, or is this it? They were asking that question about their loved ones. What meaning is our suffering? What hope could be found in death? What truth brings order to the disorder of our hearts and our lives? And here it is. Here's the truth. It's right in the middle of this passage. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And that word for belief isn't just some kind of intellectual assent, not just something that we scrape out of a book to quote. It literally means placing the entire weight, the whole weight of ourselves on that truth. We believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. And that, my friends, is the game changer. That is the historical reality that transforms the tornadoes of life swirling about us into a hope that lives deep within us. And that is the reality that causes the fixed hope to remain. What will remain of my fixed hope? Paul said this, we will be with the Lord forever. What good news that is. But let's make sure we understand that forever isn't some divine appointment out there somewhere. Forever does not begin when we die. And that's the entire point. Remember the words of Jesus, the voice paraphrase gives them to us this way, and I will be with you day after day to the end of the age. The eternal kingdom of God breaks in among us now because and precisely because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that fuels our hope that he will indeed, he will indeed make all things right. As Justin Early said, we are waiting for the king. All that you hope for in fill in the blank. What is it that you hope for? All that you hope for in the election, in money, in material things, in your health, in everything working out just fine. All that you hope for in fill in the blank. That's what Jesus will bring you and more. 
In Jesus is the justice you long for. In Jesus is the rightness to the world you long for. In him, all will be set right. And I say thanks be to God. This is how big and great and good our God is. From beginning to the end, I will trust you. And Paul wanted these suffering, lost, bitten, struggling, yet faithful people to know this. Not so they hunker down and wait for Jesus to come again. Not so they do that. Not for some future beam-me-up Scotty Star Trek scene where they jump onto the escape pod of faith. No, he wanted them to remember this so that they would live this out, this hope right now. And we are reminded as well. We are reminded that suffering does not have the final word. We are reminded that the disordered world, which is not as it should be, does not have the final word. We are reminded that loss and grief and death that yanks us into the tornado does not have the final word. For the Lord himself will come down. The day of the Lord will have the final word, but not just as something ahead of us, but that is upon us now. Now is the day of salvation, Scripture says. Because we believe in the power of the resurrection to ultimately make all things right. We believe that same power is at work this very moment. Even though we don't see it. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness and death. We believe this power is at work this very moment. That this is the day of the Lord. This is that day. That points to the day when it will all be made right. The words of Ephesians 1 come to my mind. In the passage translation, they read this way. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead. Our instrumentalists are going to be playing a song as we conclude today. The lyrics were written by Jason Ingram and Jeremy Camp. The name of the song is Same Power. And these are the lyrics. We have hope that his promises are true. In his strength, there is nothing we can't do. Yes, we know There are greater things in store. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us. He lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, lives in us. Lives in us. He lives in us. He lives in us. What remains 
of your fixed hope. For that hope is found in the Christ who by faith in him lives in us. The final word for us is this beautiful prayer from Paul in 2 Thessalonians. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. May he do that now right now, into forevermore. Amen. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word with his hope. For it is in him, it is in Christ, we find hope. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you so much for this word to us today. As we go from this place, for some, Lord, the tornado is swirling about them. They are being spun around at unforgiving speed. I pray for them. We pray together that we'll fix our hope in you. For some, Lord God, they're looking at the landscape of the world or the landscape of their life or the landscape of their family. It's hard to see hope. Father, we pray that you would pour out the grace of hope to them today. As we heard earlier in our opening prayer of lament and hope that even though we see the things in the world that are not as they should be. We know the character of the God in Christ who is. So we trust you. From beginning to the end, all the pieces of my life, we trust you. What will remain of our fixed hope? Lord, you remain. And in you, the living God, today we have hope and we trust you this moment. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, our Savior, and our soul's friend.